0: Welcome to Fleet Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the latest in our teaching series. Uh, Coming to the end of our little series where we've been thinking about the fire values of the Catch the Fire and Partners and Harvest family that we're a part of. We've had uh, all four of those we've been looking at over the last... Few weeks. We had three weeks on each of those values, the father's heart, F, I for intimacy, R for restoration of the heart. I tested the nine o'clock service, by the way, I said, what do they stand for? And they all shouted out every one of them. And the reason I did that was not to test whether they knew it, because I couldn't remember what the F stood for, and the banner was in here, not through there. Thankfully, they remembered all of them. So they got the father's heart, intimacy, restoration, and then I said, what does E stand for? And Penny Overton shouted out, everything else! <laughs> And I thought, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So he is everything else. But it's about extending the, quip, the kingdom, equipping and resourcing by being anointed with Holy Spirit. And, and we, we started, as we were planning this series, with today's message and worked back. We, we wanted today's message to be um, you know, positioned here in the year, right in the middle of Advent. Because the equipping and the anointing of Holy Spirit is what is at the heart of... Of this Advent season. And and so we sort of started this series that way around, sort of worked backwards, as it were, if that makes sense. Because you need to know, friends, just one touch of the King changes everything. It changes everything. And so what I'd like to do is we're going to take a little look in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 1. I'm going to pick out just three verses to have a look at and give some explanation of those verses. But this is about Advent. It's about people preparing room for the arrival of Messiah. Don't worry about what's going on around you. Just please try to focus on the Word of God. Um, People are being prepared for the arrival of Messiah, the arrival of Jesus. That's what Luke 1 is all about. Everything to do with the arrival of Jesus was prophesied, wasn't it? David agrees with me. Everything, everything to do with where Jesus was born, how he was born, the location, the timing, all of the circumstances were foretold in this book. Agreed? So it's all about prophecy. Amos chapter 3 says, surely the, the sovereign Lord does nothing without first revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. Everything God does is prophesied in advance. And the reason for that is twofold. One is because actually it points people forward with anticipation. So we believe that Jesus is coming back again. Amen? And so we're looking forward to that. Why do we believe it? Because it is prophesied every single detail of the return of Jesus is written about in this book it says where he will return it says how he will return it does not say the day and the hour because even Jesus doesn't know that only the father does but it does say that there will be seasons preceding his return that we need to learn to watch All of the details are there. And when he has returned, we will be able to read this book with revelation to say, that's what that bit meant. What we call the Old Testament prophesied every single minute detail about the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. People read it, and they were filled with anticipation, but yet when he came, they didn't recognize him. Because there is a danger with the prophetic word that people then add to it their own interpretation, their own hope of what it's going to look like. And when God does something that doesn't match up with what we hoped, we dismiss it and we say it's not God. Prophecy is supposed to point to what God is about to do, but it is not supposed to straightjacket what God can do. It is supposed to point to what he's going to do so that we are open to it. But what he does not do is go into so much detail that actually we think, well, we can dismiss everything else. There needs to be a sense of awe and mystery and wonder because he is so much bigger than we can ever imagine. The second thing about prophecy is actually that when it comes, we're able to recognize it and it's a confirmation. So we know that it's God because he'd already said, that's what I'm going to do. And all of the prophetic words about Jesus, all of them, without exception, were fulfilled. And in this season of Advent, as we're waiting for the return of Jesus, we must not forget the promises of the presence of Jesus in the here and now. And it's living with that now and not yet, that eschatological hope. We know that he's promised his presence here and now, but we also know that he is coming back again. Hallelujah. So what I want us to do is, is to have a quick look at these uh, three passages, in uh, three verses in Luke chapter 1. They're all about being filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're all connected with prophecy, and they're all about the arrival of Jesus. That's why we're looking at it in this season of Advent. The first one is verse 15, the second one is verse 41, and the third one is verse 67. The first one is a child. The first person ever to be mentioned in the Bible, in the New Testament, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is a child. That is significant, church. You know, We have lived with 2,000 years of nonsense in the church that says unless you're a white, middle-aged male, you cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit and you cannot be in a position of leadership. That is not biblical. The first person that the New Testament talks about as being filled with the Holy Spirit was a child in connection with prophecy. So we need to be saying, God, we want more of that. We want our children to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that they will prophesy. Amen? Let's pray for them right now. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we just pray for those children as they gather in Powerhouse that they will have a power encounter this morning. Holy Spirit, would you move in those children's ministry rooms right now in the name of Jesus that the children would encounter you with such power that they would be immersed in your Holy Spirit and that they would begin to prophesy. And Lord, would we have the ears to hear in the name of Jesus? Would we not have the attitude of saying, oh, bless them, isn't that cute? But Lord, would we hear you speaking to us through them in the beautiful name of Jesus? I had already planned to say that, but I just really feel it's so significant that we have with us this morning one of probably the world's foremost ministers to children. Heather Thompson has a ministry called Power Pack Ministries, and they, her church doesn't have a meeting this morning, so she's popped along and snucked in so that no one would notice her. It's a joy and an honor to have you. And Heather teaches at Bethel Church. She teaches all over this country and various different places around the world on how to enable children to encounter the Word and the Spirit of God in real life-transforming ways and how they can be released into ministry. And we just want to honor you because what God is doing through you is amazing. Let's just honor Heather. with So the first person... In the Bible, to be mentioned as filled with the Holy Spirit as a child. The second one is a woman. Jesus was the world's first women's rights campaigner. <laughs> Everything he did was to challenge the attitudes towards women. He was found alone talking to women. You don't do that. When the woman was brought in, caught in adultery, was brought to him, he basically had attitude towards, where's the attitude where's the man? He he had an attitude that raised up women. It was unheard of in his day. That's why the second person in the New Testament to be mentioned as filled with the Holy Spirit is a woman. This is a theological point that Luke is making. The principles and the priorities of the kingdom turn everything the right way back up again because we do it so wrong. And the third occasion is actually an elderly man. It does not matter about age. We've got to get away from this concept that unless you fit the mold, God won't use you. That is a lie of the enemy. Because the enemy is afraid of children, women, and old people. Because when they get filled with Holy Spirit, I tell you, that's when you know. That's when you know that something significant is happening. So let's take a quick look at some of these, shall we? The first one is uh, verse 15. It says here, verse 15, he will be great. This is referring to John the Baptist now. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled from the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Some translations say, even from before he was born. There is some ambiguity in the Greek word as well, it means "from birth or before birth." I actually think it means before birth. I personally believe wholeheartedly in life from the moment of conception. That's just biblical. When we were expecting our children, we laid hands on them before they were born. And we prayed for them every day to know the peace and the presence and the joy of Jesus and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's biblical. From the moment any of you know that you're expecting a child, do that. Lay hands on your child and pray for it before it's born. Because here, John the Baptist was prayed for before He was born. He was prophesied over before he was born that he would be filled with Holy Spirit. He was set apart for the Lord. And the context of this is fascinating. Zechariah, his father, he was a priest... It was his turn to go into the Holy of Holies. And he went in to the most holy place of worship, the place where incense was to be burned, the place where worship and prayer and praise was to be sent heavenward. He went in there, and as he went in, he had absolutely no expectation that in the place called the most holy presence of God that he would actually meet with God. That is a travesty. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being the one who is invited to go in to the place called the most holy presence of God and to go in there and not expect to meet with God? Can you imagine that? He was actually shocked when God sent a messenger to speak with him and to meet with him in that most holy place. He was dumbstruck. Every single Sunday morning, around this country, and around the world, there are people who do exactly the same thing. They go to a place of worship, and they do not expect to meet with God in such a way that their life is never the same again. And then they come away, and they say, well, not much happened. I believe God meets you at your place of expectation. It is time, church, to raise your level of expectation. You want the presence of God? Start expecting it. Start expecting it. If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Did you know in archery, I used to do archery at school, in archery, if you miss the target, it's called a sin. That's the technical word in, in, not the technical nerd, the technical word in archery for missing the target. It's called a sin. What are you aiming at? What are you aiming at? Zechariah aimed at nothing and he hit it. But in his grace, sometimes God suddenly breaks in even though we're not expecting it. How many times had Zechariah gone into that place and encountered nothing? But on this occasion, on this occasion, the presence of God was life transforming. He was never the same again. He was literally never the same again. What happens when you are the priest and it's your turn to go into the holy place is that all of the others are outside praying for you. You have a a rope tied around your ankle and you go in so that if in the presence of God you die because it's so overwhelming, they can drag your body back out again without them having to go in and die. That was built into their practices because at some point there was expectation that the presence of God is pretty awesome. And outside, there are people praying. I want to suggest to you that you do not encounter Holy Spirit in isolation. If you have ever had an encounter with Holy Spirit, it's because at some point somebody has been praying for you. It might be at that very moment, or it might have been someone interceding for you for years. But if you know Jesus, it is because somebody has prayed for you at some point in your life. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Last weekend, we had the privilege of being in the Welsh Valleys, and we were at a couple of different churches, and uh, we were at uh, Bethan's parents' church, actually, Rachel's sister's church. They'd asked us to go and and just to help them sort of move forward in some of the things of the Spirit. And on the Saturday morning, um, no, it wasn't, it was on the Sunday, um, we were in a meeting in the afternoon, and I was actually speaking on the same passage, different message, but the same passage. And we were talking about people praying for you. And sometimes, those of you who have been here a a while will know that there are occasions where when Holy Spirit is moving, I get a sensation somewhere in my body that correlates to what somebody else is experiencing. Some of you have seen that happen. And I'll often call out and say, who is it that's got whatever? Well, one of the things I called out last week was I'd got tremendous pain in my hands. It really hurt. And I'm male. I don't do pain, you know? That was a joke. And so as I'm sort of standing there with pain in my hands... I'm saying, who, who is it that's got pain in their hands? Nobody. Several of the others we've mentioned, they all responded to, and that was great. But, and this pain was getting really intense. I was thinking, Lord, please, show me who it is, because it hurts. Nothing. And when I finished ministering, I went back to where Rachel was sat at the back, and we carried on worshipping. And it's still got this tremendous pain in my hands. And the guy who's on the sound desk, he came over to me, and he said, I, I, I was too embarrassed to come forward, he said, but the pain in my hands is that's me. He says, it it hurts. I said, I know. But thankfully, the moment he confessed it, it had gone from me. So I was okay. So I said, well, you know, you didn't come forward, mate. No, I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just testing to see if you're awake. And I said, just please put your hands out because I I know what you were feeling. Let's pray. So we just, we prayed into it. He put his hands out like that. I, I put my hands on top of his hands. And we started to pray. And I prophesied over him about what it it was he was putting his hand to that he would find favor. And I started to talk to him about the oil of anointing. I said, the oil of anointing is coming upon you so that what you put your hands to, you will find favor. And he said, how will I know? I said, God will give you a sign. I took my hands off his hands. And as I looked at his hands in a cold former Anglican building, oil started to appear on his hands. I called Rachel over. I said, look at this. And I said to this guy, I says, Do you sweat a lot? You know, just testing. Didn't look like sweat, but I wasn't sure. And he says, No, I don't sweat. He says, and and this is this is not sweat. He said, this is sticky, it's viscous. So I wiped it off his hands and we watched as it started to form again. Yellowy oil. I took some on my finger, I smelled it, it smelled like incense. I'd said to him, the oil of anointing is going to come upon you. He said, how will I know? I said, the Lord will give you a sign. God is on the move. This this guy was former uh, forces. He had PTSD. He'd been living on the streets. He was battling with various different addictions. And he was needing to know a sign of the presence of God. And we heard yesterday, he's been out on the streets just telling everybody about what he's encountered. Isn't God good? I don't know about you, but I'm quite excited by that. It's because other people pray for us. We, we cannot take any credit for anything that we do in the Lord. Other people are praying for you. And therefore, we need to be praying for one another. That is so important. If we're wanting to see the advent of Jesus, if we're wanting to see the presence of God come in our midst, we need to be praying for it. We need to be praying for it, church. Church. It's coming whether we like it or not, but actually if we pray for it, we'll be ready for it and we'll receive it and we'll see it. So we need to be praying. The second one. Um, so we've had the child filled. The second one is the woman who was filled. It's verse 41. So this is uh, Elizabeth now. So uh, Zechariah has, has um, <clears throat> been stuck, struck dumb. He didn't believe the Lord. And so he's unable to speak. And then the angel goes then and speaks to Mary and tells her that she is going to give birth to Jesus. And she believes it. There's a contrast there. She says, let it be to me as you have said. So she's not struck dumb. quite the opposite. She immediately travels to see her cousin Elizabeth. She stays there about three months, but she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And this is the context for this one. verse. uh, Did I say verse 41? Yeah. Verse 39, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to the town in the hill country of Judah where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Verse 31, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed and she started to prophesy. Mary was carrying the presence of Jesus. Jesus. When she carried Jesus into the home of Elizabeth and Zechariah, Elizabeth was affected by the presence of Jesus. And even the baby she was carrying leapt with joy in her womb because in the presence of Jesus is fullness of joy. What an incredible encounter. That the presence of someone who carries Jesus changes the atmosphere. In our readings a few days ago, some of you will have read this, you were doing the Advent reading series with us. They were talking about carols. And they are saying, isn't it amazing that at this time of year, the atmosphere always feels different. Everyone seems a bit happier. The atmosphere feels a bit lighter. I mean, maybe not if you're lectioneering, but you know. Um, other than that, <laughs> everyone feels happier. There's a sort of a lightness in the air. And the writer of the devotional was saying, it's not really something we should be surprised at because we're filling the atmosphere with the gospel truth. You go to supermarkets and department stores and carols are playing. And as you go around in these places, joy to the lord, joy to the world, the lord is come. It's being piped into all these places. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. All these carols that give the gospel are being piped into the atmosphere over radios and over sound systems in shops and everywhere you go. Is it any wonder the atmosphere is shifting? We should learn from that. What are we doing for the other sort of 50 weeks of the year? We need to understand that what we put into the atmosphere affects the atmosphere. You know, there are people that carry a presence, aren't there? And sometimes it's good. When I said that in the 9 o'clock service, Anton Kerber walked straight in at that point. <laughs> he nipped out to take a phone call, and he just walked in at exactly the right moment. I used him as an example. Those of you who do not know Anton, he's a, he's a very, very, very tall South African. So if he walks into a room, you see him over the heads and shoulders of everybody else. But except at a point in their life where they were going through some incredibly painful grieving... Except for that, I've never seen him without a smile on his face. He's one of those people that when he walks in the room, the atmosphere changes for the good. You know those people that carry a presence, is not there? Who wants to be like that? Amen, three of us. (laughs) You see, what we carry affects the atmosphere, and we can choose what we carry. We can choose what we carry. Mary was given a choice. The angel came to her and gave her an invitation. She had to respond with, may it be to me as you've said. I believe that if Mary had said, no, I'm not doing that, the angel would have turned and left her. She'd have missed out, but the angel would have turned and left her. The Lord knew what her response was going to be, by the way, but she was free to say no. Do you want to carry the presence of Jesus so that everywhere you go, atmospheres are changed? You have a choice. Ask yourself this question. What have I chosen to carry? What have I chosen to carry? And what effect is it having on those around me? Because it's your choice. Oh, yeah, but if you knew all the stuff I'm going through. Mary was a teenage, unmarried girl who was suddenly told she was going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. What do you think she went through? You're pregnant, Mary. Yes, it was God. Imagine the reaction from people. If you got pregnant and you said to people, I'm a virgin, it was God, I suspect you may be taken somewhere quite securely. The stigma that was placed upon her She was ostracized. She was gossiped about. She was maligned because of the gospel. And yet she carried the presence. Right from the beginning, she was willing to carry it. Even in the midst of horrific opposition and persecution and abuse, she did not waver because she chose to say, yeah, I'm going to carry the presence of Jesus into every situation. When she carried the presence of Jesus to her cousin, what she carried changed Elizabeth's life forever. Elizabeth, because of what Mary carried, Elizabeth had a touch of the Holy Spirit. It's called the fellowship of life. Do you want to affect those around you so that your presence enables them to have a touch of heaven? It's about the way we rub up against one another making sure that what we carry is going to be a positive influence on those around so that actually as we go up and we spend time with them, they receive a blessing. And they are released to be all that they can be because of what we have carried into their lives. That's the second time someone was filled with Holy Spirit. So the first time is because of people praying for us. The second time is because of the fellowship of life. How we do life together matters. And the last one is verse 67. This is now when John the Baptist has been born. And so it was the custom in those days that if you gave birth to a son, he was named after his father. And so everybody assumed that this child that had been born would be called Zechariah. It's true in many cultures still, isn't it, that uh, you, you name a child after their ancestors. So, uh, I have an older brother, and he, ha- he carries uh, my father's name. So, it's his middle name. So, my dad is David Anthony Raymond, and my brother is Ian David. He carries as his middle name my dad's first name. My dad's father was called Raymond, so he carries his father's name. And it sort of passed on down the generations, And and it's it's a tradition, isn't it? Many, many families did. Zechariah knew that the Lord had said to him, your child is to be called John. He'd been silenced because of his disbelief. And God moved anyway, despite him. And when the child was born and they were saying, he's to be called Zechariah, he got everybody's attention. And he said, give me a tablet. And he wrote on the tablet... And he said, he is to be called John. And in that moment where he demonstrated his obedience, his mouth was opened. He was filled with Holy Spirit and he began to prophesy. Verse 67 says this. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Prayers of others fellowship of life and radical obedience. That's what causes us to be filled with the Holy Spirit such that we are released to speak the truths of God. Last weekend, when we were praying with the leadership team of the church, we prayed over each couple. And there was one older couple who were there, lovely older couple. And we asked them to stand up so we could pray for them. And... uh, we went and laid hands on them and, and I, I just said to the chap, uh, I said, I, just, I see you and I want to bless your faithfulness because I see you in a really big field, a huge field, plowing. But you're plowing in this field and, and you've set your eyes on a point on the far side of the field because if you want to plow, you need to plow a straight line. And if you don't keep your eyes fixed on something on the other side of the field, then you'll deviate all over the place. You'll meander. But actually, if you keep your eyes focused, you do not avert your gaze, you just keep looking and you keep walking towards that point that you have chosen to fix your gaze upon, then actually you, you plow a straight furrow. You just keep going. You keep going. You keep going. And I said that I felt that they'd uh, been used by the Lord to break up some hard ground and that behind him were those who were sowing seed and reaping a harvest, but he must not look back to see what's happening. He needs to keep his eyes on the prize, keep walking where he's going. I said, but it's a huge field. It's a massive field. And I said, I'm just sort of seeing, he's sort of plowing a long, a long furrow. Well, people were laughing in the room, which I I took to be a good thing. Um, And we carried on praying, and Rachel had some words for him and for his wife. And and afterwards, he came over to me, um, and he said, I just need to tell you, he said, We're based in Wales, and obviously it's, 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 there's not big fields in Wales because of the hills. He says, But I carry an award as being the UK's champion long plower. Wow. He said, It was in the area of Sussex because there's bigger fields there. He said, They have to be huge fields. He says, and the key point is that you do exactly as you've described. You find a point on a fence or a hedge, and you walk at it, and you in fact, you drive at it, but you do not ever deviate, and you're judged on how straight your furrow is. We then were able to talk to him about his faithfulness and his obedience, and how because of it, others were reaping a harvest because of his obedience. Isn't God good? You see, our obedience to what God tells us to do enables other people to step into the fullness of what they're called to be. It enables other people to partner with us for the gospel and use the gifts and the calling that God has placed upon them to bring the presence of Jesus into people's lives. You see, so often When we get into Advent, we quite rightly think about the arrival of this little bundle of joy called Jesus. But he was born to die. He died to rise again. He rose again because he's coming back again. And he is the king of all kings. He is the saviour of the world. And everything pointed to him. And everything points to him. And so the question is, in this season of Advent, who are you praying for? Who are you praying for that they'll have an encounter with God that totally changes their lives? Who are you fellowshipping with? And how are you affecting them? And how do we do that well so that what we carry rubs off on those around us, in our families? In the church, in the streets, in the supermarkets, in our workplaces. How do we change the atmosphere so that we're pointing to Jesus in everything we say and do? And how do we walk with such obedience that we are blessed to be a blessing? We do it by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter our faith the one who came to rescue us the one who came to heal us the one who came to set us free the one who is coming back again hallelujah let's stand together Lord Jesus Christ Son of the living God We worship you. We thank you, Father, that in your grace, everything about your son was prophesied. Thank you that every single detail of his coming was spoken of beforehand. And thank you, Father, that everything about his return is similarly written about. Help us to be ready. Help us to prepare him room. Help us, Lord, to be expectant. Show us, Lord, who to pray for and how to pray. Show us who to fellowship with and what it is you want us to share with them. Show us how to live lives of radical obedience. And in the name of Jesus, may everything we say, everything we do, everything we are, Point to you, Jesus.